0: You know, we've seen changes with insurance regulation and that and the way we look at risks has to change. Previously, we used to get Bordeaux of these are premiums. Now there's a pressure to say, can we analyze it? Can we do better? Can we an- understand our exposure better? And that's what my presentation today is going to try and do. So let me give you some context. First thing I discuss about why we care about geocoding, why does it matter? I'm then going to discuss some of the practical implica- implications for the South African context and some of the challenges we have. Um, I'm then going to discuss why we shouldn't use Google or any other provider. Uh, I'm going to go through some open source data sets, specifically OpenStreetMap is the one I'll be looking to use. And then I'll get to point 0.5 later, and you might understand why. I just want to check, can the guys back hear me? So why do you want to geocode? Well, to be honest, it's just cool. Those little geeky people inside of us want to do something that actually looks nice. It's fun. It's like getting an ice cream. Second of all, you can actually use it. Despite it being cool, there's a purpose. Pictures speak a thousand words. You can summarize data in a simple map and actually bring your risk committees to understand data. You can use it in pricing. Combine it with police statistics, population statistics, traffic statistics, all of that can be used. Unfortunately, to do that, you actually need to get to geocode your addresses. And there's also that one small legislative requirement that came out, which says that insurers need to be able to identify their risks within 200 meters. I'm not sure who wrote that, and I am aware that they might be in this vicinity. But that's an exceptionally challenging task to actually do. But I'll give you some sources that you won't get to within two hundred meters to These are all natural disasters where understanding where your exposures were would have helped you insurers lost tens of millions of rands with St. Francis Bay Fires and the honest answer if you analyzed your exposure by province, by crest Zone or by postal code you would have known your exposure existed. St. Francis was isolated to a very small region on the boundaries of Wine River. Simply put, analyzing crest Zones did not cater for that. But it's a journey if you look at it, you have to start somewhere. You can sit there and try and say I'm going to wait, but start somewhere. Because only when you do something are you actually going to improve your data quality. Only when you're producing reports to say, we can't get here, are you actually going to progress somewhere to improve your data. And I'm not saying throw the whole house at it, but start small, but start somewhere. Using some of the commercial applications, you're looking at anywhere between a quarter of a million Rand and half a million Rand, just as a starter. That's a starting package that doesn't do anything cool. But with open source data, you can actually get there and you can get there a lot quicker with a lot less upfront cost. And we all know it's a lot easier to to present an idea to your board when the cost comes with about zero. So what about the South African context? Well, unfortunately, the South African context is rather difficult. It's privatized. In fact, most of our municipal data is controlled by private companies. There's little consistency across the data. If anyone's looked at addresses, they're completely different. Some people use Ward, some people use Santon. My, the address where I grew up in is classed as Northcliffe or Fairlands or Ramberg or Joburg. And that's not unique to me as pretty much all of us. Um, and there's no central storage. So if you look at it, every single municipality, every single town has their own data so there's no way to aggregate. For any of you who dealt with the municipal valuations, City of Joburg published it on a website. Swanair published it as PDFs on their website. Durban, they were lying somewhere, I'm not sure where the files were. And unlike other areas of the world, we don't have open address. Open address is a project to try and make every single address in the world a reality, and known. We're not there in South Africa. If we look at our postal code, there were promises that the postal code would be revolutionized and updated ten years ago we're still waiting for that Um, unlike the UK so if you take a UK postal code which is six digits that will get you to within about three houses a South African four-digit postal code gets you to about a hundred (laughs) kilometers if you compare it to something like the open location code which is a project by Google open location code has tried to map every single portion of the world to a 12-digit code how detailed is that code one code will describe less than this area here every code is less than 3.5 meters by 3.5 meters that's the detail you can get to with open location code which if you think of it if you're trying to share your address which might be Northcliff or Fairlands or something else you can actually share a code And not only will you direct your friend to your house, you'll direct your friend to the left-hand corner of your bedroom. (laughs) So why do we not want to use Google? Probably a lot of you here have already used Google. I know chatting to a couple people about this presentation, a few people had to go back and check what they were doing. So Google's fantastic. It's amazing. To be honest, they've got one of the best algorithms that handles geocoding that I've seen. The problem is you and I use it for free, but it's actually not free. It comes with terms and conditions, which means when companies use it, you actually have to abide by those terms and conditions. One of those terms and conditions is that you are not allowed to store their data for a period of more than 30 days. Which obviously if you're now doing quarterly reporting or monthly reporting, it means you have to re-geocode your entire database every 30 days. The other thing is, Google's free to make changes whenever they want to. So for those of you that followed Google, on the 11th of June 2018, the cost of geocoding addresses when you breach their, uh, their free service increased by tenfold, from $0.05 cents to 50 US cents. Now, 50 US cents for 1,000 requests is still fairly cheap, but they could do it again. You're also restricted in how you can use those Google Maps. So you can't now plot it with other data. So you, Google's very convenient, but it's slightly problematic. There's also concerns around Poppy. In terms of you're sharing information with Google, you're sharing information with other outsource providers. What are your Poppy obligations? Now, I did discuss this with a lawyer friend, and they probably answered just like an actually would, and their response was, it depends. But effectively, if you're sharing addresses with Google, there's probably not that something private about it. But if that data set contains medical information about the person as well, you start running into problem. And I guess the last point why I'm passionate about open source is, can we not democratize access? We can keep on paying outside providers, we can keep on paying everyone, or we can work together and actually make the data set available to everyone for free. And if everyone contributes, you can actually slowly improve the quality of the data set. And this is where OpenStreetMap comes in. Now, don't, I'm not sure how many people are actually aware of OpenStreetMap. Quick show of hands if anyone's heard about it. Okay, so we've got like three people. <laughs> so. OpenStreetMap is actually associated with the Wikimedia Foundation. Their goal is to give a map of the world for free. No one pays for it, everyone's free to contribute to it. And that does come with its problems, but effectively, what's very nice about it is you're free to distribute, transmit, adapt, or data as long as you credit them. Pretty much, as long as you credit them, you can do whatever you want with the data. Now, what you've seen with OpenStreetMap is in some various side projects. The one which I'm going to discuss in a bit of detail is Nominatum, which is an open source geocoder. OSM Names, which tries to help with identifying points of interest around the world. OpenRouteService is an open source ways or Google Directions. So you can log in there as a company and actually get directions without having to use Google Maps. So, if you're trying to identify where your salespeople should go, you can use that. And then you've also got two other off splits from it, which is Pelias and Ge- Geography. Now, these are commercial applications, but because they used the OpenStreetMap dataset, they've actually had to make those applications available to the public. So, if you want a geocoder that uses Elasticsearch and machine learning technology, you can go and download those applications, they're for free and available on GitHub. I will warn you, or Geography needs 50 gigs of RAM to run. So, <laughs> you're gonna want to use something a little more complicated. Today, I'm just gonna restrict myself to nominate him. So, this is where part five comes, which is going to be the practical demonstration of my presentation. Um, if you look here, there's a wonderful HDMI cable. The problem with that HDMI cable is it doesn't seem to like my Ubuntu laptop and it hates my work laptop even more, which means my practical demonstration of where I was going to show you how to run the R code and show you all of that is a little difficult. But so I do apologize for that. Unfortunately, it does happen. So. What I'm going to do, though, is just take you through some of the slides. I've managed to very quickly just get some of the output that's available. And I'm going to ask you to just imagine a few things as I go through it. But I think, importantly, after this presentation, if you go to myshortpollcom forward slash geocoding, it's a redirect website that I use and abuse. Uh, It will link you to my Google Drive where all the R code, as well as the package, will be available there. So just in terms of what the package does, I wouldn't say it's available or ready for commercial use. Go use it in your organizations. But effectively, what I've tried to explain is how you can, well, I've built a geocoder in R that you can link to a local instance of Nominatum and actually use for geocoding purposes. And it's got a couple of graphing functions. So you're able to plot graphs by wards, postal codes, provinces, and you can actually summarize your exposure as well. So just to show you, this is the one graph which it's a lot more cooler when you actually generate it in front of people. So it takes about a couple seconds to generate, depending on the power of the laptop, but here we've just gone and taken random data, uh, summarized schools off of OpenStreetMap, and went and assigned random sums insured, and we actually gone and plotted them. So in the first we plotted by province sorry, that's by district municipality. And in the second one, we go down to local municipality. You can actually plot that by wards if you want to. If you really, really wanted to, you can use uh, stats as shape shapefiles and plot it at that level of detail. Um, and these are fairly useful to try and summarize your exposure. I mean, you can give that to someone and they can get an appreciation of where your exposure sits. I think one of the criticisms of, and this is a choropleth, is depending on the region you choose, your result can differ. And you've seen that as you go from district municipality, you lose some of the detail and as you move. So that's the exact same data set, just the overall view changes a bit as you go down to more granular levels of detail. Which then brings me to the second type of output which gets produced. And this was a, effectively, it tries to provide heat maps of where every concentration risks of where you've got the highest risks. So on the left is what it looks at a very high level and then as you zoom in, you can actually zoom in to those individual spots. So this was, if I'm correct, highlighting exposures with five, within 500 meters of each other. Another fairly, and you'd be surprised how quick you can do it, is you can, Sam came out with the, you have to get all your risks within 200 meters, which if you, the normal way people think about that is it's a pairwise distance calculation between every single risk on your database. Which if you think of it, if you've got 40,000, well, if you've got 2,000 risks, which no one really has, that's already uh, 2,000, you're going to oh, my math. 200 risks gives you 4,000 risks, but you're squaring it. So by the time you get to 75,000 risks or 100,000 risks, which is still a fairly small book, you're running out of RAM to actually do a distance calculation. But what you can do is instead of you can do it iteratively by building your map into actual blocks, and every time you pick the largest exposure and you split that into that block into four blocks, that block into four blocks, and you actually get to a point where you can summarize your data admittedly approximately, but within this 13 square meter block in South Africa has this amount of exposure within 200 meters. So you can actually answer that how many risks are within 200 meters. One of the challenges around the 200 meters is actually geocoding the data. So at the moment, Nominatum actually only provides geocoding at a street-level database, at a street-level level. They are slowly moving down to try and get to a address level. So when you're actually trying to answer what risks are within 200 meters, it's almost impossible to geocode addresses exactly within 200 meters. So, I guess that's what should have been a far longer practical uh, demonstration. What I can maybe just chat about is, so Nominatum downloads data from OpenStreetMap and use that for geocoding. Probably one of the challenges you get, and it's the first challenge you experience, is they've very well populated their data based on election wards. So Africa's got election wards that are accurately GPS mapped across the whole of South Africa. So when you type in 8th Avenue Northcliff, 2195, it responds with zero results. Which is a little concerning because that's the street I grew up on. But what you can do is you then change the address to 8th Avenue 2195 and it picks it up. And that's all how the data is imported. Now fortunately there's actually a way that you can edit the XML file you download from OSM, and what the quickest way to update the accuracy of your OSM geocoder is actually to remove the wards and replace the suburbs. And that's actually a very—it's a two-line statement in Linux that you can actually just completely change the accuracy of the geocoder. Um, at the same time, and it would have been nice to show you the demonstration, is the one thing you got to—you can do is when you code in your addresses is you can actually start changing iterations. Um, So if it doesn't match on a suburb, you can actually try and match it on the street name and and the postal code, or match it on a suburb that is nearby. So again, to use 8th Avenue Northcliff, if you actually put it even on Google, it returns 8th Avenue Fairland. So when you're using OpenStreetMap, the quickest way to do it is to Find Northcliffe, and then find a location close to Northcliffe with a bounding box. Uh, that is, yeah, that's one of the techniques you can use to improve your accuracy. In terms of the overall level, the hit rate you get on your geocoders, you'd probably be you're looking at around a 30% hit rate. Uh, so, and that takes a little bit of time to improve. And the first, but and. And it's not uncommon that the first time you go through a data set, you will struggle to get a hit rate above 30%. If you've got fantastic data, you might get higher. But it's a slow journey to try and actually improve it. So as you get your data, as your suburb data improves, you can get to that. If we look at some of the future developments that will happen with OpenStreetMap, well, some of the future options that are available, is South Africa's actually got an amazing cadastral data set that's available. Um, there's a commercial provider, Planet GIS, that actually makes it available on their website for free. And if you speak to enough people at the Chief Surveyor General, and you spend about three months on the process, you eventually get hold of someone who responds with, sure, we can give you that, it's available as a DVD. And you say, okay, so how much will this cost? And they come back, oh no, it's 196 Rand. You know, like I've probably spent the better part of 10 hours trying to chase this down and you're telling me it's 196 Rand. So if you can actually get the cadastral data, you get accurate GPS plots for all the provinces and they're actually giving you locations for every single house. So you actually have every, well not house, but every single plot in South Africa that's part of our data, you've got that. there is a push with the OpenStreetMap to actually see if they can incorporate that onto the map. There's just a couple things around who owns the copyright, but if you could actually get that data onto OpenStreetMap, suddenly you can replace election wards with actual suburbs and you can now enable individual house um, geocoding. So those are some of the things that are, are going to happen. I guess, sorry, this is meant to be a very interactive, Play with our session. <laughs> it's been vivid. So, does anyone have any questions? Uh, the code will be available by this afternoon that you'll be able to download it, play with it. Um, there's also a Word document which takes you through all of the steps um, from how you can play with uh, data using. Uh, sorry, I've got to remember the name of the application now. Uh, Spatial Light. So Spatialite is quite a useful database in that you don't actually have to install the database, you can just run the EXE, which if any of you like me work in a fairly strict IT environment, it's quite useful when you don't have to actually install anything and you can do some analysis. But it takes you through some basic queries you can run using Spatialite, installing Nominate on Linux. For those of you that are worried about installing it on Linux, you can do the whole process from start to finish, that's from learning Linux to get in, nominate and run in, probably in less than four hours. Uh, it really is, they give you step-by-step instructions exactly how to do it. And Nominatum can actually be run on something as small as a Raspberry Pi. So you don't need a huge server, you don't need 50 gigs of RAM. Probably your only restriction is when you initially create the database download, that creates, that needs quite a large amount of RAM, but you can run that service on a Raspberry Pi. So if anyone has questions or they would like to chat to me or they would want to see some of the R code, I'm very happy to share it with you. And uh, I hear there's a second version of this presentation. So we'll see if I can get my laptop, or well, either one of my laptops, to talk to any one of these screens. <laughs> uh, MyShortPoll.com forward slash geocoding. To be honest, it's just a website I use for redirecting whenever you do presentations and random stuff. <laughs> Anyone else with any questions? I guess of. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, is your goal after you've done your geocoding uh, to? To add another field effectively on your short-term database for example that that is has a has a coded uh, open open street code is that is that the end result that you've effectively gone through a process and and populated your entire database with a code like that an open street uh, code per client and that uh, you once you've invested in that exercise now you're free to do the analysis is that really the, the ground stage of this exercise? Yeah. So effectively if you look at it, the the whole goal and rationale as uh, geocoding is, and the reason to try and use it is you'll do the geocoding exercise once off and for every single risk on your database you'll store a latitude and longitude and hopefully never revisit that address. And that allows you then to do a whole lot of pretty cool, I mean, from reporting risks to people. So, you can actually then summarize how many houses you have in specific areas. So, that's one of the exceptional rules, just trying to manage your risk. The other uses, specifically on the pricing side, is the moment you have geocoded addresses, you can now actually use spatial smoothing in your pricing. So, you're no longer just restricted, you can smooth it across different areas. You can start augmenting it with various data sets. So, some of those data sets you need to purchase um, people have various commercial data sets others are made freely available uh, status says obviously again it's a fairly challenging process to get to the right person but you can actually get their spatial data or you pay someone five thousand rand for a delivery fee to give it to you um, so you can augment it with crime statistics those available from police Uh, the 2016 Community Survey or the 2011 uh, 2011 Population Survey. Um, If you really want to, you can actually start doing distances to nearest water bodies. It kind of, once you have that, it opens up a whole realm of opportunities that never existed before. And I guess, as we get more complicated, people are adding more variables to every pricing model, so you can, you could probably even add the traffic patterns surrounding that house D- Thank you. Uh, can you take us through some of the geospatial smoothing techniques that you would use on, on these data sets and the shortfalls of uh, the different techniques? It, so to be honest, I've usually used commercial <laughs> software in that, so <laughs> I wouldn't know exactly all the exact shortfalls around it. I mean, kind of we plugged it in and it got a result. You can do, ours got a lot more functionality that I actually need to expand on. Um, one of the things you get is, depending on how you're doing your smoothing though, if you're using shapefiles or locations, you've actually got to worry about areas that are inhabitable, not inhabitable. So one of the problems you get to is that you'll go and say, well, there's basically no crime in this area there's no incidents in this area. Uh, what you don't realize is, well, there's a national park that covers half that area. So of the two houses that you've got, incidents is through the roof. but..." it just looks as though there's nothing there. And there have been, I forget the exact, but there is an R package that actually deals with that. They specifically use Germany as an example of how you can exclude national parks, waterways, water bodies, so that your smoothing actually improves as opposed to just doing it blindly. We have ended a little early, but you're free to enjoy lunch early.